Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we need you to speak to our hearts today. We bless you for the worship. Bless you for that incense offering up from us to you. We pray that you have have heard and received the songs of our hearts, the love and adoration of our hearts. And now, Lord, we come to this time where we open your word together and we're asking you to meet with us, Lord. We're asking you to speak your word to us, Lord. We hear hear terms like you're having all authority and you're having all power. Lord, we need to know what that means for us. For us, what difference can that make for us? What place of encouragement, Lord, do you want to bring to our hearts? Father, I pray for wives discouraged, mothers discouraged, husbands discouraged, those working uh, in, in a difficult place, or maybe trying to start something from scratch, and wanting to do all of those things to honor you, to be a blessing unto you, to fulfill your call on our lives. Lord, you know, you know how important it is that, that the joy of the Lord remain our strength. And, and we need you today to refresh that joy. We need you today by your spirit to encourage our hearts, to put courage back in our hearts. And we thank you for this opportunity today to open your word in this country. And we bless you in Jesus' name. And all the Lord's people said, amen, amen, amen. Will you take your copy of the scripture and find your way to one of Paul's letters, the the letter to the Ephesian church. And I want to read today one of two prayers that the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians. And as he is writing this prayer for them, he's writing this prayer for us. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could ask the Apostle Paul to just show up this morning and pray for us? Wouldn't it be a blessing? And it is a joy to have folks you know who have walked with the Lord and they've been down down the road and they have a sense of the closeness of the Lord. It's a blessing to have somebody like that to to pray for you. I have spent my time asking folks over the years that I've respected in their walk with the Lord to just lay their hands on me and pray pray for me, Lord, what you've done in me, what you're doing in me, doing this one, doing David. And I know many of you have had that same experience. But what if we could have the Apostle Paul himself, writer of two-thirds of that New Testament that's in your lap this morning, to show up and pray for us. How would he pray? What would he ask the Lord for? How would he pray for us? Well, let's find the answer to that question. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul writes, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and having heard of your love for all the saints, Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And here is his prayer. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
And he put all things in subjection under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, folks, if it is possible that the Lord could do such a thing in your heart, in my heart, if it's possible that this is true, I want to ask you three questions. Number one, how would you feel about yourself if this was true, if this could happen in us? Secondly, how would you live your life? How would you live your life if this was true? And then number three, if this is true, what would you ask for? What would you ask for? What would you ask for? I want you to go back with me to the start of the prayer. And let's just look at these words a little more closely. He says, I pray in verse 17, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This is consistent with what John the Baptist said early on. Here's how you'll know you've met the Messiah. He only gave one sign for the Messiahship. Here's how you'll know the Messiah. I baptize you with water, he says. I can get your clothes sopping wet. I can get your hair wet with the water. But there is one coming who is greater than I. I'm not even worthy to untie his, the laces on his sandals. For when he comes, he will baptize you with his spirit and with fire. I can do something on the outside, but there is one coming who is able to drench you on the inside with his spirit, and he's able to set your heart on fire. When he comes, he'll baptize you with his spirit and with fire. Jesus would say, when I leave, I won't leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Then he moved on in John 14 to talk about, in 15 and 16, to talk about how his coming again would be. Not his second coming, but his coming to be with the church in the time between the day that he leaves and the day that he returns again in his second coming. He would be with us. He would be accompanying us. He would be filling us. That's his heart. Filling us with his invisible presence. We wouldn't just have to remember what he said or go to the places where he walked and stood and, and cast out demons and walked on the water. But literally, Paul would say, it is Christ in you. Jesus invisibly but powerfully and personally present in you, which is your hope of glory. Here Paul continues that theme. It's the ongoing work of the spirit of the living Jesus in the hearts of the Christians who make up the church that will make all the difference in whether we just struggle through life and whether we're beaten around by hopelessness or whether we're, we're trying to, to do something that we can never do in our own power or whether we're going to realize that, that this matter of knowing Jesus and this matter of being forgiven and this matter of, of being someone in whom Christ lives literally means that our strength, our strength doesn't come from in here. Our strength comes from Him. So we may have been losers in every category of our lives, of our lives up until the time that we've met Jesus as Savior and Lord. But now we are able to see, to say, as what, as what Paul said, it is, it is Christ in me who is my glory. Who is the, but he would go on to say, I can do everything I'm supposed to do through the one who is giving me strength. It is his presence 
inside me, not just enabling me to do physical things, but enabling me to do those invisible spiritual things that I want to do, enabling me to have hope when everything else around me is hopeless, enabling me to love the Lord and trust the Lord when it would seem like the circumstances would say, give up on God. Go off and do something else. He's failed you. He's not here. But still there would be something going off inside of us that would say, I can't. I can't leave him. I can't walk away because I know in my knower that he lives in me. I know in my knower that he's giving me the ability to trust and to praise and to, and to obey and to love and to forgive. The power of Christ alive in me. So here Paul says, here's another dimension of the work of the Spirit of Jesus inside the church that he's asking the Lord to freshly give to these believers. And as he prays it for them, folks, we're just standing in line. We're just standing in line. Pray that for me, Paul. I need this too. What's he praying? That the Lord would give to them a spirit, a further expression of the life of the Spirit in them, of wisdom and of revelation in the true knowledge of Him, of the Lord, of God, of Jesus. Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Well, Paul was right in the Scripture. Why didn't he say, Lord, give them, give them the ability just to remember what I've written down? I mean, it was going to become a part of your New Testament. But the thing that's so amazing here is, is that Paul understood and the Spirit gave him that understanding that there is more that we need than your Bible. Now, don't throw something at me. I'm not a heretic. I believe every word of this is true. I, I, believe, I believe it's accurate down to, to, to the smallest detail. But it was, it was 1,500 years before there were copies of the Bible made available to the church. The New Testament hadn't even been written at this time. Paul is in the process of writing it. So he was saying he understood that the church was going to need something more than ink on a page. It would help them when that time would come. But he's saying, and this is even before the Scripture was made available to the church. He's saying, Lord... I'm asking you to bless them with the dimension of your Spirit's work in them so that there will be wisdom, wisdom in their relationship with you, wisdom in their understanding of who they are, wisdom in a recognition of what kind of God you are, your faithfulness, your power, your justice, your kindness, your mercy, the wisdom that, they, that gives them the ability to know who you are and understand who they are in the light of who you are. But then he goes on to say a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Unveiling. Um, uh, parting the curtain. It's the same word, the same specific word that is used regarding the revelation of Jesus Christ. The last book in your Bible. The unveiling of Jesus. The, 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 the pulling back the curtain to see him as he really is. He's saying, Lord, I'm asking you to give to them a spirit of revelation in their knowledge of you. Where it's not just something that they've read about, but it's something that they're seeing. It's something that they know is true because there is a sense in which they are able to observe it. He'll go on to talk about the eyes of their hearts, of our hearts being flooded with light so that we can know and see the hope of our calling and so forth. But, but I want to I just stop here at this place of the spirit of wisdom and revelation, specifically the spirit of revelation. One of the things that can help brothers and sisters in Jesus go through hell on this earth is when they have a sense that Jesus is right there with you, that you're not by yourself, that you haven't been completely abandoned, that it's not all over because of the sense of his presence in the place, in the room. You say, well, that's just rare. That, that, that may not ever happen to me. That's why Paul is praying here, Lord, I'm praying for every one of the saints in Ephesus and all of us that you would bless them with a spirit of revelation, of revelation, 
of revelation, the unveiling of the presence of Jesus. Will you find, hold your place in Ephesians, but turn back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Now, some of you may be about to, you're wondering, well, where, where, where is he going with this? I didn't write this. I didn't make this up. Just trying to say what, let the word say what the word says. And we are invited, we are dared to believe that what God has said is possible. What the writer here would say, the Lord wants for you to have, that instead of us checking out and hesitating, I can't say how that would be, just embrace it. Lord, show me that it's true. <laughs> show me that it can happen. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Peter's speaking, day of Pentecost. Verse 25. Spirit of revelation. Spirit of revelation. Spirit of revelation. For David says of him, verse 25, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. For he is at my right hand that I, not, that I may not be shaken. David stood against all odds. David didn't turn and run when it would seem as if the opposition was so great he should have. He said, I was always sensing the Lord in my presence. And because he is in my presence, I'm not shaken. I'm not shaken. Now, I know I'm screaming and hollering this out, but it's because I believe that it is true and it's that which God wants you to be blessed with. You are not by yourself at night when you're in your room alone. You are not by yourself when, you're, when the opposition is stacked up against you. And you don't know which way to turn. It looks like it's an overwhelming force against you. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation can work so as you will know you will know that Jesus is right there with you in the middle of whatever you're walking through. Bless them, Lord, with the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of you. Let me show you another spot. This is in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. The end of Paul's life. The end of Paul's life. And this was not the first time that this happened. There will be other times in Paul's life where he will say, the Lord appeared to me, or the Lord made his presence known to me. And he would speak certain instructions in those missionary journeys and activities Paul was involved in. But look at this. This is 2 Timothy 4, 16. The last letter that Paul would ever write, 2 Timothy. At my first defense... No one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed. And will bring me safely to the heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Everyone abandoned me, but the Lord stood with me. How did he know the Lord was standing with him? Was it because he just wished it? Because he just tried to play that game in his mind that surely the Lord's everywhere, so he must be here. I'm telling you, no, it was more than that. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The unveiling of that which can cause us as humans not to be able to see into the spirit realm. That can cause us not to be able to recognize the forces of help. And the greatest force of help being the presence of Jesus anywhere in the universe is at our disposal. It is in our presence. And we need to have something lifted in order for us to see that. I'm telling you, brother or sister, you may be walking through hell right now on this earth. It may be the hardest thing you've ever felt. It may be that, that, that it's your worst nightmare being played out. Or it may seem that it's just this endless midnight with no sign of the sun coming up. 
It may be that you're looking and have exhausted all of your resources and on and on and on we could go. And those places can be pits of despair. Those places can be dark, lonely times of grief and of deep hesitation. That's why Paul was praying, Lord. And he knew he had a sense of what would be coming for the New Testament church, for the early, where, where Christians would be considered criminals of the state. Their property would be taken. Families would be separated. They would even be martyred for their faith in, in large numbers. And they went, here, here's the testimony. You can read it in, in numbers of the, of the accounts of the Christians and the persecutions in the Roman era. What eventually broke the back of the Roman authority was as the population watched the Christians come into the places of suffering and martyrdom. They would come in singing. They would come into the arenas arm in arm. They would come in if the families were still together, huddle as a group, but their eyes would be up. There would be a look of peace upon them. There would be encouragement. Somehow, some way, they had an understanding that it isn't all lost if I lose it all here. This isn't the end of everything if I have to leave something behind here. Jesus was making his presence known. You can go through whatever you have to go through. And Paul understood it, and the Spirit put it in his heart so he could write it to them. And so all these centuries later, we could read it for our own selves. Jesus has a way of revealing himself, revealing himself to his people so that you know you're not an orphan. You know you haven't been discarded. He's there. He's there. He's where you are. I want to just stop right now. And I, I just, it's in my heart to just pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come upon, would manifest himself, the spirit, in making real the presence of Jesus in your lives if you're going through a spot like this. And if you're watching this and you're in your room or wherever you may be or in your car, and this is you, I just want to ask you to raise your hand. Nobody's going to be seeing anything, but, but just as an indication, Lord, I, I want to be recognized in this place, and I want to receive it. Here's the prayer. Lord, in the name of Jesus, according to your word, according to the hope, according to the instruction that we have through the, Paul's writing, we're asking you, I'm asking you specifically, for those who are listening at this, in this time, at this service, they're here with us with their Bibles open, and they need to know your presence close to them. They need to know your reality with them. I pray in the name of Jesus for your spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus to be made known to them. I pray, Lord, that as Paul said, everyone abandon me. But the Lord stood with me. Lord, I pray you'll make your presence known to them right now in their place. And where David, surrounded by enemies, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. And therefore, I wasn't shaken. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, please, please, we need it. And you know where it's needed the most. Make your presence known. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the memories of what you have done. But, oh, Lord, where this could be true for us, that you would make your felt presence known. We ask for that. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 See, and, and <laughs> Paul wasn't saying, God, I'm asking you to transport us out of first century Roman Empire and just take us to the Mar to Mars or to the moon somewhere. Move us to some other place. That wasn't going to happen. But it wouldn't matter so much where they were if where they were was where Jesus also was. Now you got to, I hope you heard that, that I'm not talking about remembering him. 
I'm talking about feeling his presence in the room now. That's what I'm talking about because I believe that's what Paul is referencing in his prayer. Lord, give to us, grant to them your spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of him. Now, that word knowledge is only the kind of knowledge that comes through experiencing a relationship with the one you're supposed to know. It's not about having information. It's not about being able to go through the the three years of Jesus' public ministry and say, oh yeah, I know Jesus. Paul is talking about the kind of knowledge that only comes through knowing, experiencing, doing life with the person. It's experiential knowledge. It's beyond just casual information. It's the opposite of information. It's the result of a relationship. And what he's saying is we need the Spirit, the Spirit's work of wisdom and of revelation in order to take us to that place of that kind of intimate knowledge with Jesus. You say, well, I... I can't be in church all the time, or I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, or, or I didn't get a Bible until I was 30, didn't know the words to amazing grace until I hit 40, and then we discount ourselves. No, no. It's the work of his spirit. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows where you've been, what you've had, and what you haven't had, and he's able to answer this cry of your heart today, Lord, give to me your spirit of revelation. Will you open my eyes? Will you lift the veil? Will you part the curtain? Will you disclose yourself to my heart? Oh, goodness, folks. I, I, just, I just pray that's just, that's just walking all over the inside of some of you right now. You have permission to ask that. Have permission to pray that way. Lord, I need to sense your presence. I need to feel your presence. You see, that's the problem with, with and, I, and I, I shouldn't say problem, but, but that's the issue with having multiple copies of the Bible in your home. We can get to thinking that the Bible, a book, is to take the place of seeking the felt presence of the Savior. And it was never intended that. That's why it was 1,500 years before there were ever printed copies of the Bible and the church existed all that time. How did they exist? Because the Spirit of Jesus would make His presence known to the people. They could feel His love. They could sense His power. They could know of His hope. They'd have the ability to release and forgive and keep on going. Lord, I need to see you. Lord, I need to sense your presence. Do you have permission to pray that? You have permission to pray that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of him. There are some things about who God is that you'll never get from just reading the scripture. Paul was writing the scripture. And he said, beyond this, you need the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of him. Now, don't let that be heretical. Fit that in with the historical pattern of the church. The scripture would come later, but the revelation of who Jesus was to this group and to us today is wonderfully a promise. Yes, we gain so much knowledge from the written word, but we gain so much experiential knowledge by the work of the Spirit in our hearts and lives. Amen. (laughs) All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Look at verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart The eyes of your heart, not the eyes of your mind, your brain, but I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be flooded with light. It's a word that means into into thick darkness, shafts of brilliant light are thrown in upon the darkness. And the shafts of light conquer the darkness and the room fills with light. I'm praying, Lord, I'm asking you, that the eyes of their heart would be flooded with light. Eyes of the heart, not physical eyes. Eyes of the emotions. Eyes of the feelings. 
eyes of that deepest part of us that really is the truest expression of who we really are. Lord, open the eyes of their hearts. And he uses it a different expression. Cause the eyes of their heart to be flooded with light. For what purpose? For three things. So that they may know what is the hope of your calling. Number two, what are the riches of your inheritance in the saints? And number three, what is the surpassing greatness of your power toward us who believe? Now back to the first thing. Eyes of the heart flooded with light so that we may know what is the hope of our calling. So that we may never forget what is the hope of our calling. Hope has two parts to it. The Bible word hope, a wish, a longing, and an expectation. An expectation. Here's the longing, here's the desire, but hope in the Bible sense means that somehow down in your heart there is a conviction, there is an expectation that what you've been hoping for is indeed going to happen. Keep, keep that in mind, the hope of our calling. What is that? What, what, are, the, what are the pieces of the hope of our calling? Just, just suggest a few things. This is not exhaustive. I want you to find 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Now listen to this. Listen to this. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's writing to the church, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now I know when some folks have grown up in a Christian home, that you may not have grown up around that much moral darkness. And a verse like this can be somewhat challenging for someone growing up in a home and growing up in an environment where it was church whether you wanted to, whether you wanted it, three or four times a week. You, 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 know, you grew up knowing the Bible and so forth. Later on, you came to the realization that the Bible says about church growing up people, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God, rich in his mercy, saved us on the basis of his mercy. We cry out, Lord, I need a Savior. So whether you've grown up in church only to realize later that there was a fallen part of you and you needed the mercy of the Lord and forgiveness of the Lord and you came to him at the point of the cross for forgiveness and came to him wanting the power of his resurrection to, to change and break off just religion and give you Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing. And, and there's some like that that'll be listening to me this morning. But I'm going to tell you, there's a, whole bunch of, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of others that have made Alamo City their spiritual home for all these years that would say, Pastor, you want to talk about darkness? I can talk to you about darkness. But what I can tell you is that verse is true. Somewhere, somehow, some way, lost in the darkness, the Lord called me. He called me to him out of darkness, and I'm in this marvelous light, and I'm here to tell you, I want to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Folks, folks, the hope of our calling is that as he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that's just the first step. That if he's called us out, bless God, he's going to keep us out. He's going to keep us from drifting back. We may fall back a little bit. We may look back over the fence and sniff and see how it still smells. But the bottom line is you have been made 
by the power of his spirit, a new creation on the inside. And it's his responsibility to keep stirring up the strength of that new creation. So, so we're, we're called out of darkness into light. That's the hope of our calling. Lord, and, and I'm going to tell you, folks, don't, forget, don't ever forget what he's called you out of. Don't forget, that's your testimony, that's your story. We, he says we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light because we can talk to folks who are struggling with whether or not they can ever get out of darkness and be able to say, I'm not perfect. And he, the Lord's still working on me in a lot of ways. But I'm telling you, he called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. All right. So the hope of being called out of darkness into light. The hope of being called to a new creation. Therefore, if any person, any man, woman, be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things passed away, and all things have become new. It's a work in process, in a work in progress, this new work, this new creation of who we are. But that's, that is, what I think, that's what Paul is saying, that hope alive, that it was the Lord who brought you into this relationship with him that is resulting in a new something rising up on the inside of you. Not a straitjacket from the outside forcing behavior, but a shifting, a changing of the want to inside you so that what you couldn't imagine yourself ever doing before while you were in the darkness now you can't imagine living any other way because of the new hope, the new life within your heart. He, he, you know, there are other things. We say this to the hope, the hope of his calling, the hope of his calling, the hope of his calling. He, I believe there's a sense of a calling to a blessed life, calling to a blessed life in this life. Third John, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. I pray that you may prosper. That means wealth of all kinds of dimensions, not only material, not only financial, but that he would bring about that prospering of the heart, that prospering of a soul, that prospering of a life. I pray that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul is prospering. It's as if Paul is saying in all these different places, Lord, keep fresh in their hearts the hope of what you've called them to. Don't ever let them lose it. Sometimes I worry about, you know, some, some folks have, you know, Come to know the Lord, called out of darkness into marvelous light, but, but they, they, have, they have so shifted everything about them that it's like they don't want anybody ever to know, ever know that they stuck a toe in darkness. When the truth is, they wrote the book on darkness. Jesus rescued, Jesus saved, but now it's like they turn their back. I don't want anybody to know what I ever did. I don't ever want anybody to know. This verse says, don't you ever stop telling your story of how he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It doesn't mean we go back into those places and do those things and be with those people necessarily, but it is that we don't ever shut up telling folks who will stop long enough to listen. If you knew me before, you wouldn't believe the change in my life. And it's not because I'm something special, but it's because Jesus called me out of darkness and he brought me into this marvelous light. Amen? Amen. 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 Depending on your station in life, this last call, the last part of the call, may sound real sweet to you or it may sound like something I hope that's a long way off. It's a call to heaven. It's a call to the Father's house. If you're 22 years old and you had not gotten married and don't have kids yet, hadn't, hadn't blown up the world with your business adventure, you may think that maybe the last thing on your list is to go to heaven by daylight in the morning. But there are others who have lived a while, struggled a while, suffered a while, been through a lot. They can testify that what Jesus said in this world 
you will have tribulation, but you be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. They could testify in this world, it's been a hard place, it's been a long place, a difficult place. The hope of the Father's house sounds so good. In my Father's house are many mansions, are many places to live. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Man, the hope of heaven, the hope of heaven. Do you see this? Paul is praying, Lord, cause the eyes of their heart to be flooded with light so that they can keep fresh in their thinking, in their feeling, in their pursuit, the hope of their calling. Then he says something else. The eyes of their heart flooded with light that they may know what is the hope of their calling. Then he says, and that they may understand what are the riches of glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, why would Paul say that? What in the world is he talking about? Well, you got to start with who the saints are. You know, because if, we, if we've got a separate category of saints then we can say, yeah, I get that for them. A lot of glory in those people. <laughs> you know, they've done a lot for God. But my life hadn't been so much. Here's the deal. Here's where Paul is saying, you got to have the Spirit of the Lord to help you see this. Because this won't make sense in the natural. I can't write it down and give it to you. Only the Lord can show it to you. You know who the saints are? Every last person who has received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, who has by faith been washed in the blood of the Lamb, who has by faith received Jesus' death on the cross for their sins, who are believing that he was buried, and then on the third day he was raised because he had accomplished forgiveness for their sins. There is not to be found Anywhere in the Bible, a separate category of super-Christians called saints. Now, they may have lived good lives. We'll see probably all of them in heaven one day. But what happens is, if we get to thinking of the saints in Scripture as some, some standard that we don't ever have to live up to, we shouldn't ever aspire to, then we settle in or less than that which the Lord wants us to experience in him. He's saying here, Lord, I'm asking you to flood their lights, the eyes of their heart, with the understanding that every last born-again child of God is a part of this unspeakably wealthy inheritance that Jesus has given to the Father, that as a result of seeing themselves as a part of that inheritance, they are to know in their knower that they individually are of indescribable value and worth to the heart of the Father. I'll show you where we get that. Go again to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Peter writes, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You were redeemed, you were ransomed, because Satan had taken you captive. You were not a free moral agent. You were bound by darkness and driven by the darkness as the darkness drives the culture and the world. But into that bondage, into that darkness, the light of Jesus came. His death on the cross, his blood being shed, 
was a legal, a legal transaction. It was not an accident. It was not just something that came up and we think we'll try this. The blood of Jesus was a legal purchase price. It was paying the price for your freedom. And if there is not the application of the price of Jesus' blood to your account, you remain in bondage no matter who you live, where you live, how much you know, how old or young you are. You were ransomed. I was bought. I was set free because of the blood poured out for me. Because of Jesus. Now look, here's... Here's what the Spirit can open our eyes to see. There are millions, millions, who knows, maybe even billions of folks who have lived this life and over time have heard the call of the Lord and they've turned to Jesus and they received His forgiveness, His mercy. They've received by faith His ransom for their soul. Collectively, that is known as the inheritance. The inheritance, not that you receive, not that you can give away, but the inheritance that God the Father receives from His Son. When He bought you, paid for you, purchased you, set you free with His blood. Paul says, I'm praying that every last one of the ones who have been bought with the blood, set free by the price of Calvary, will come to understand how rich they are in the sight of the Lord. What a value they are indescribably to the heart of the Father because of what Jesus has done for them. So how are you feeling about yourself? How are you feeling about yourself? I look here, I look there. Don't feel so good. Don't have much to show. But that's why Paul was saying, he was writing this to believers many of whom would eventually have their properties taken away, persecution would come upon them, and even though that would happen, it would not change what he's saying is the truth here. Lord, keep showing them how valuable they are. They may not be valuable in the eyes of the world, but Lord, you keep their eyes flooded with light that they would understand that they are a part of this glorious inheritance. The word glory means worthy of praise, worthy of honor, that you and I, no matter what we've, we have come from and, and, and what we've come out of, the Lord says because of what Jesus has done, because of what he has accomplished and is working in our hearts, you are something worthy of glory, worthy to be celebrated, worthy of honor in the eyes of the Lord. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. And then he says, this last one, that you would show them what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then he goes on, he, sort of, he leaves the request and he gives the background for making that request. Here, here's, here's what he's saying. Here's why he's saying it. Look, look at verse, in verse 20. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he's put all things in subjection under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. He fills all in all. Paul uses a series of nouns in this section. All of them under the category of power, might, force. You, you, you see the first one in verse 19. His power, show them the, his power toward us who believe. That according to the working of the strength of his might. Two more words which he brought about in Christ. That's another word for power. When he raised him from the dead. All of those words for power, indicating not just inherent, available power, that's dunamis. It can act, 
but it's this indescribable reservoir of supernatural might. That's the heading word. He says, I'm praying, Lord, that you'll show them the power that is directed toward them, which has as its manifestation specific expressions that are, one of the words is used for physical power. Another one is used for, it speaks of precise power, like the power of driving, driving the head of a hammer to, to a nail or the striking of a specific blow. There's another one that has to do with the energy of God, the energy of God to maintain, to begin and to maintain something. Here's, here's the point. All of that was for the purpose of exalting Jesus Christ as the head of the universe, re-exalting him to that role and giving him as head over all things to his people, the church. Keep in mind that the word church here, that, that's an English word that we've stuck in there and it, and it can strike at the heart of what the real word is here. The word is ecclesia. It means the ones called out of the world to Jesus, the ones called out and to Jesus, not to be a part of some man-made organization, some religious institution, but a passionate relationship and embracing of the person of Jesus Christ. That is the true church. That is the ecclesia. It's all about Jesus, all about Jesus, not about a pope, not about an evangelist, not about some preacher, not about some physical structure. It's Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about being called to Jesus, period. End of story. You know, Yeah. That's what he does. He calls us unto himself and says that this exalted Jesus has been put as head over all things to the church. There's no name that is above his name. There was no configuration of power or might that is a match for who he is. But I want you to notice this thing. I'm going to stop. This is, this is striking. And, and, and Paul, Paul is so specific. He uses all these words for power. But notice what he says in verse 19. That they may know what is surpassing greatness of his power. Watch this. Toward us who believe. Power toward us who believe. Remember the word for believe or faith comes from that verb to persuade or to be persuaded. Paul, I believe, is taking that into account. He's praying, Lord, enable their ability to believe by persuading them that these things are true. Folks, you can't do what you can't do. That means if you haven't been persuaded that something is true, you can't believe that it's true. Belief or faith is a result, not the primary action. We have to be persuaded first. We have to be convinced first. And then the result of that persuasion, the result of that convincing is a settleness in my heart and enablement in my heart that I can believe that what God has said is true. You can read all the promises in Scripture and they don't necessarily have to do you one bit of good until the time comes when the Lord by His Spirit causes that specific promise, that particular word to begin to grow in your heart, to get legs in your heart, to have a heartbeat in your heart. And nobody has to tell you you ought to believe that. You know it in your heart. You can't do anything but be convinced it's true. So look at this. Paul is saying, I'm asking you to flood their hearts with light in order that they may know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who have been persuaded that these things are true by the work of his spirit of wisdom and revelation, by the work of his spirit to convince us and to persuade us. But here's the awesome, awesome, awesome point of this. He says that the power is directed 
toward us. Surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. It's not the surpassing greatness of God's resident power, his innate power. But there's a direction to this. Paul said, I want them by your spirit, Lord, to understand, look, that they are the target. They are the target. They are the end of the pipeline for your power demonstrated on this earth. And that power is the kind of power that can raise the dead because it raised Jesus from the dead. It has the power to establish a position of authority and maintain that position of authority because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Folks, listen. It'll rock your world. It'll change your Mondays. It'll alter settings where you've got to deal with people that are difficult or whatever it may be when you understand that the Scripture says where you stand with your heart turned toward Him, believing Him, crosshair for the power of God to be poured out is not on the church building. It's not on just some preacher somewhere or some doctor high voltage somewhere. But it's on you. Lord, show them that the power of heaven is toward them. Is toward them. So I stand in places of need. I stand in places of lack. I stand in a place of sickness. I stand in a place of you name it. But when I know in my heart that not only, not only am I not alone because he's present, and I know he's present, but I know in my knower that somehow the power of God is turned toward me. I want to pray. Lord, there's some folks that are listening to this right now. And it is exactly the cry of their hearts. Though some may have been so discouraged and are at the place of saying, but I can't believe because I've, I've, I've wanted, I've wished, I've hoped, I've been in this for so long. Lord, would you by your spirit persuade them, convince them that these words are true. And that it is your function to raise up faith in their hearts. Not ours to beat ourselves up because we don't feel it. But for that to be the reason that we just cry out, Lord, I need you to convince me. As the, as the father of the, of the child said, Father, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, would you, would you cause us to just stop beating ourselves up that we don't measure up in these areas of spiritual aptitude and strength. And would you cause us to turn to you? Say, Lord, this is a place where your spirit of wisdom and revelation I need. Lord, I need you to cause my eyes, the eyes of my heart, the feeling places of my heart, the dry, barren, hard, beaten up places of my heart, I need you to cause those dark places to be flooded with light so that I will know what is the hope of my calling. That I'm a part of the Lord's richest inheritance to the Father. And Lord, that you would help me to understand, believe, accept the greatness, the surpassing greatness of your power toward us who believe. Lord, will you, I'm asking you in your mercy, Lord, will you convince some folks today that this prayer is true, this word is true? Would you cause there to be a knowing that would be raised up within their hearts? And great encouragement would come. It's not an empty hope. It's a hope with an expectation. And that expectation is guaranteed by the Father's heart and the Father's power to make it happen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word and your encouragement, your spirit of wisdom and revelation being given to us that we may grow in our knowledge of who you really are, what you are doing, and what you will yet do. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. And amen.
I want to just encourage as we, as we leave you now, we've got a number of prayer requests last week as we opened the door for you to put in an email, just a, just a simple description of a prayer request that you have. It could be about a person or a need of some sort, a medical condition, whatever it would be. We don't need a long list. You don't even need to put the names in there, but just enough for our intercessors to know how to pray. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. When we gather those, I see them, and then they are given straight to along with my praying, but they're also given to our trusted, a trusted group, our intercessors here. It would, the, the names on the email list won't go anywhere. It'll just be buried within the hearts of those who are praying. And we want to know when good things happen, when breakthroughs come, need you to let us know. Pastor Walker, alamocity.org, let us pray with you. Let us pray for you, and let us pray with you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Wasn't that wonderful?